last in this series on heaven. Now, I don't know if anybody else has liked it, but my mother has been really very appreciative, so I'm, I'm happy that Mana gets to watch, and that's good. So when I was a kid growing up, one of our favorite games was hide-and-seek, and you all probably have all played that. The best time to play it was dusk, because you had shadows, and you could hide better places, and if it's sunny, you know, it wasn't as great, but man, dusk was a great time. Remember back in the day where you could actually go to a neighbor's house at dusk, and your parents didn't have to know where you were, and really didn't care where you were? That was the good old days, you know, and so we would play hide-and-go-seek, and you all know how the game goes. Uh, everyone hides except one person who is the seeker, and they lean their head up against a tree, and they count, and then eventually they say, what? Ready or not, here I come. They yell it out real loud. And so today, we're going to talk about ready or not, uh, heaven is, uh, or uh, eternity is coming, so uh, what's it going to look like, look like for you? Now, Jesus basically said, ready or not, here I come. Keep watch, he said, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Uh, translation, ready or not, here I come. Keep watch. He's giving us fair warning. This is something that's upcoming, and we need to be ready for it. A couple years ago, there was a website called reserveaspotinheaven.com. And for a mere $14.95, you could reserve your spot in heaven, money back guaranteed. I don't know uh, what you would do if you don't get to heaven. Uh, it's a little late at that point. And obviously it was a little bit of a spoof. But they would send you a certificate. Uh, uh, suitable for framing, uh, that said, I have reserved my spot in heaven. Uh, for $10 more, you got the VIP upgrade in heaven. I don't know what that would look like, but evidently better heaven uh, if you paid $10 more. There was also, same people had a reserve a spot in hell website. You could reserve your spot there as well. And evidently, people actually did that because... <laughs> it was kind of a, maybe a gag gift or that kind of thing, but folks like to know, would like to know what, what's going to happen after this. Um, that's why this series, I think, has been, I mean, people, a lot of people have said to me, man, that really helped me, or I, I understand things better, and I'm glad, because the Bible does tell us lots of things about heaven. Now, uh, uh, super interesting, heaven is a topic that uh, is, is like a... Uh, when people write books about this stuff, uh, they, they fly off the shelf. They become New York Times bestsellers. A couple of them that you might know about. There was one uh, a few years ago, Heaven is for Real, a little four-year-old boy uh, had a surgery, I think, and, and the surgery went bad, and, and he died, and then they resuscitated him, and he came back as a four-year-old boy, and he said stuff. He knew things about people who had passed on that he shouldn't know as a four-year-old little boy, like he'd seen his grandfather. I, I, I read it, a, it's been several years ago. but um, And so I was a skeptic going in to reading the book. It's like, uh, he just had a dream or whatever. But his remarks were remarkable, frankly. And that book was a, a bestseller. I believe it became a movie. There's another book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. It's by a, a Southern Baptist pastor, so you have to get, it's a little sketchy if you think about it. Uh, a guy named Don Piper, he was in a car accident. Uh, evidently, he was in a Ford Escort, and he got hit by an 18-wheeler, and you lose. Uh, that, that is, a, that is a, a competition you're not going to win. And uh, he was pronounced dead at the site, and then 90 minutes later, he revived. And he writes this book called 90 Minutes in Heaven, and it became a New York Times bestseller. There's a couple others I have listed. Uh, there's a doctor named Mary Neal. Uh, she wrote a book called To Heaven and Back. 
she was a, uh, had a kayaking accident in South America, uh, was dead for several hours, was proclaimed dead for several hours. Uh, in her, um, her vision or what, uh, her experience after uh, she uh, passed was uh, she was escorted into to heaven by eight, she called them spirit beings or angels, um, she saw things she had never seen before and couldn't imagine, and then they informed her that she had to go back. There's another one that was really interesting. I, I didn't know about this one until this week. A guy named Eben Alexander wrote a book called uh, Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. And this guy was a skeptic. He thought, well, these are just people who have these experiences, and it's just neurology that you know they're just having visions. But he went into a coma, and for seven days, I think it was, he had these visions of heaven. And so he became a believer. Now, listen to this statistic. This is amazing to me. Because of the advances in medical um, resuscitation, 8 million Americans have been brought back to life. 8 million. It's a lot of people who have a lot of experiences with near-death experience. They, they have a lot of that going on. And it's plausible. I mean, we see it in Scripture. Um, Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead after four days. And so it's certainly something that occurs. But we call these near-death experiences, and that is really what they are. They're not really death experiences because they came back. There's only been one resurrection. His name was Jesus, and he has a lot to say about heaven. And so that's what we've been looking, who we've been looking to. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say about heaven? So let's review real quickly what we've learned in this series because I think it's important for us to remember a couple of things. According to Scripture, once we die, if we are a follower of Christ, the nanosecond that our spirits, our eternal spirits, leave our mortal bodies, we go to be with Jesus in paradise. We stay in a spiritual form for a while until Jesus' second coming, and then we get resurrected, better, new, improved bodies. Um, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, do animals go to heaven? And the answer is, maybe. Uh, yeah, I just never really came to a conclusion on that. Uh, it's funny, you can read the, the articles about that, and some people say, oh yeah, for sure. And um, a lot of that has to do with the imagery of Revelation. It talks about the, you know, the, the seven horsemen of the apocalypse, or the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and that kind of thing. And so you have to understand, Revelation was written more as imagery than it was as, um, I, I think, a, a, than it is more descriptive. And so I don't know if that's a good way. But then you think about, okay, uh, the new heaven and the new earth are going to be um, a restoration of Eden, the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden had animals, and we love animals, and so it would make sense if we love these things, and heaven is this perfect place, it would make sense that perhaps animals are there. Uh, we answered the question a few weeks ago about what happens when babies die. Um, uh, there's something we believe in called the age of accountability, and if they've not reached that, then God will make the determination that they get to go to heaven. David is the one that we look to for that answer. Uh, David talks about his son, and he says, um, I will go to be with him someday, and then we know that David later uh, enters heaven, and so we know that's uh, the case. Uh, we talked about the fact that uh, we all become Trekkies uh, when we die. Uh, we uh, get to go where no man has ever gone before, and we get to explore things, and, and so that's a good thing. Um, and we did understand we don't, we don't become angels when we die. We don't get wings. That's, uh, that's Hollywood. That's not the Bible. 
And we don't float on clouds and play the harp and eat um, uh, Snickers bars, although that does sound good. Uh, at least the Snickers bars part. Um, there's work to be done in heaven, uh, productive work that's really, really good. And so all those things we sort of talked about. So let's end this series with three more things that Jesus said about heaven. Let's look at them. Uh, Jesus, this is from John 14. Okay, so the book of John, a, a, a lot of it is Jesus' last part of his life, last couple of days of his life. He has this meeting with his closest disciples. He chats with them about, hey, I'm about to go. You have to understand, put, your, put yourself in their place. They're thinking Jesus is going to take over the government, and that's not the plan. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm about to go. And he uses this language. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now you can imagine when Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to be, you know, he's basically saying, I'm not taking over the government. I'm, they're going to crucify me. And he's very plain about this. And three days later, I'm coming back. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. But we're not so what I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back to take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So, one thing that we know from this text is that God, Jesus is preparing a place for us. Now, in this scripture, Jesus ascends into heaven. He stays on earth for 40 days after his resurrection. Uh, he leaves the Holy Spirit with us to help guide us in our lives today. We still enjoy the Holy Spirit and have him uh, helping us. And Jesus says he's going to prepare, like right now he's preparing a place for us. So we understand the concept of this. Uh, Miriam went to visit her mother uh, last weekend, and so she came back on Tuesday, Tuesday at 7. Her flight landed, and I prepared a place for her to come home to. I, I did the dishes. I mopped the floors. I, I polished all the furniture. Um, I, I, I cooked dinner. I had can candles, rose petals on the bed. You look skeptical. Okay, I did the dishes and I bought a bucket of chicken. Anyway, anyway, uh, I made preparations. The point is I made preparations. And Jesus is better at this than us. M Miriam is back there going, no you didn't. Uh, <laughs> where was I? He's lying in a sermon. Well, it's a joke. Uh, it's just a joke. And it wouldn't be the first time. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Jesus uses this language. My Father's house has many rooms. You remember what the King James says, right? In my Father's house are many, what? Mansions. And, and it's kind of a really bad uh, rendering of that word. It doesn't really mean... When I think of mansions, I think of really big houses on a cul-de-sac. You know, and we're kind of separated. Uh, the word is mone, which is really interesting. Show me the mone. Uh, the, the Greek word is mone, which means rooms. And, and it's as if, now as an introvert, I'm going, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be around people. Well, maybe we do in heaven. Maybe your introversion is taken away, or maybe that's just not a big deal in heaven. And maybe there's an introverted heaven, and every once in a while we'll come and hang out with people. I don't know exactly how that works, but the Bible specifically says, Jesus specifically says, in my Father's house are many rooms. It's as if there is this Airbnb, and we all get to hang out together for eternity. 
And I think about, uh, the Bible talks about it, that from every tribe and every nation, and I don't know about you, but I like meeting new people from new places. Um, I like it when we go to Switzerland and we, uh, we, we meet people that I've never met. I've been, I've been, a lot, I've been to Brazil, I've been to Poland, I've been to uh, Russia, I've been to Tanzania. I love meeting new people in new places and they have new ways. And, and so heaven is going to be us hanging out with people kind of not like us and maybe we get to learn all about them and, and their cultures and all those things. And, and Paul talks about it. Paul was the, the writer of many, much of the New Testament, a great follower of Jesus. And he says, now we know that if this earthly tent, he's talking about our bodies, if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an earthly house in heaven, not built by human hands. A couple of years ago, there was a song by a, a group called Audio Adrenaline, and they sing this song about the big house. And, and the, the lyrics are, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's great theology. It's kind of a fun song. A big, big table, lots and lots of food, a big, big yard where we can play football. I'm sure Vladi's talking about soccer. Uh, uh, a big, big house. And, and so uh, there's this language in Scripture that we get to enjoy eternity with other people. And Jesus is preparing this place. And, and sometimes when I'm doing funerals, I, I talk about this. The Scripture indicates that the creation that we're enjoying now, Jesus created in six days. He created in six days. Now, there's debate, is that, that means six literal days, or was it six you know, uh, millennia? There's, there's, a way, there's ways to interpret it. All I know is this is a pretty great place as far as the wonders of this world in which we live. Um, every time there's a beautiful sunset or sunrise or the, the fall colors, I mean, all of these things just sort of accentuate the fact that this is a great place. So if Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and this is what he created last time, imagine what he's done in the last 2,000 years. Now, skeptics will say, well, you know, Christians are just pie in the sky, by and by, and they uh, only think about the, the next life. But that's not exactly true. I think most of us, many of us at least, would be Christians even if we had no hope of heaven. Because think about how life works as a Christian, and Christian principles, and the character that you have as a Christian. You tell the truth. You do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. Is that not a principle that we want everybody to live by? I mean, we want people to tell the truth and to be honest and to help each other. I mean, isn't the world better when we do that? C.S. Lewis was this, this huge intellect, and he talks about this. He says, throughout history, the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. Early Christians left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were preoccupied with heaven. We have a place awaiting us prepared by Jesus. And all indications from Scripture are that it is going to be amazing. Now, let me go to some not-so-positive news, and then we'll, we'll jump back to some positive news. Unfortunately, not everybody is going to heaven. We'd like for everybody to go to heaven. I wish everybody would go to heaven. If it was my say, maybe everybody would go to heaven. 
but that's not, it's not my call. And Jesus isn't even vague on this. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's as unambiguous as it can be. And we don't talk about it a lot because it's really uncomfortable to think that there are going to be people who spend eternity separated from God. And everybody's invited. Look at this text from, from 2 Peter. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. It's not God's desire for anyone to spend eternity apart from Him. I talked about some books earlier. Another one I have not read, but I think I, I want to read. It's, it's by a doctor named Maurice Rawlings, and he wrote a book called To Hell and Back. Now, he is an ER um, doctor, and he and a team of other doctors interviewed people who had uh, near-death experiences immediately following their near-death experiences. So some of these, uh, are, some of these books are written uh, with interviews of people much later, and we have a tendency to change the story. And so the idea in this book is the closer to the event, the more accurate the content of their experiences uh, are going to be recalled. And so Mr. Rawlings did this book, and he found some people are having experiences, had experiences when they died, of really negative things of flames and fire and anguish and things like that. And whereas the books I mentioned before, these were followers of Christ or this little boy in one case, and, and they had in, uh, visions of something very positive, but not everybody has positive. I don't want you to think everybody has a positive near-death experience. And in Mr. Rawlings' book, some of them don't have very positive experiences. And he writes this at the end of his book, just listening to these patients has changed my life, he says. There is a life after death, and if I don't know where I'm going, it's not safe to die. It's a great quote. We don't hear the message much anymore, but Jesus talked about it. Jesus didn't shy away. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus speaks about hell like it is a literal place, just like he did heaven. And there are people who think, okay, well, when I'm, die, I'm, I'm done, and so they don't take hell seriously. Some people believe that when they die, they're going to have a, another chance, so they don't really deal with it today. Other people think, well, God would never send anybody there, but Jesus sort of refutes that. You can't believe Jesus and not believe in hell. It, I don't like it. I really don't like to preach on it. It's not fun or comfortable or funny it's just real and in our lives we have great moments and sometimes the reality is we lose and we hurt and that's life and hell is a real place according to jesus if you believe jesus you believe in hell it's just how it works because he talks about it like it's a real place. AARP Magazine did a study. 75% of Americans believe in heaven or hell or both. 75% of Americans. Uh, the older you get, the more likely you are to believe in heaven or hell, which is super interesting. 
And almost every religion they find has this idea that there is a place that is for those who don't live good lives or those a negative place in eternity. Uh, the Taoists believe it, the, uh, Judaism teaches it, uh, Muslim teaches it, um, uh, Hinduism teaches it, they all teach it. It's as if, it's as if in our hearts we know that there's something out there that's not positive. It's super interesting. Ecclesiastes, you always think about this verse in context to heaven. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But think about this. Maybe that also means he has planted the idea that we don't just end when we die. There is eternity that is planted in our spirits, in our hearts. We know intuitively. And so the language of Scripture around hell is this. It is a place of separation, exclusion. Uh, Jesus tells this parable one time about uh, a banquet, and, and there are people who he had to cast out, and it says, uh, take him out. Like he doesn't get to be a part and, and then uh, he says, take him out into the darkness. So the language is dark. And, and you know as well as I do, we were driving in this morning and early at 7 o'clock, and, and it's dark. And, and, and darkness isn't great. And if you've ever been out in the dark without lights, it's, it's scary. And we kind of live out of the city, and so there aren't a lot of uh, lights around. And so you can go out in the backyard, and, and you can just listen to sounds. And sometimes I'll just stand on the porch and I'll just listen. And some sounds are cool, but uh, every once in a while you'll hear like coyotes uh, uh, howling and, and it's like, oh, that's creepy. Darkness is not preferable. And, and then the language that Jesus used about the guy who was put out is that this is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, weeping is sadness, gnashing of teeth, that's regret. And so it's the idea that there's an eternity of regret. I don't know about the physical posture of someone who dies or the physical embodiment of a person who dies and isn't saved. I don't know that I understand it completely. I just believe that because Jesus talks about this, that we have to talk about it as well. There's a place for those who don't believe. And it's not good. But, provision has been made for you to go. You, you know, I, I, can't constant, I can't worry about everybody else, although I am worried about folks. But what I'm thankful for is that there is a place prepared for you and for me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If I, I go to prepare a place, there's a place prepared for you. If you believe, you believe in God, believe also in me, there's a place prepared for you. John says, John was one of Jesus' best friends. I write these things that you may, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The 23rd Psalm, David says, uh, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He doesn't say, I might, I wish I will. He says, I will. Critics of Christianity say, well, it's just a fairy tale. We like happily ever after, and it's absolutely true. And again, let me take you back to Ecclesiastes. 
Eternity is planted in our hearts. We do want happily ever after. We believe in happily ever after. Maybe because it's been planted in our hearts that it can happen. We can experience happily ever after. If you've ever been around people, there's a difference between grandparenting and parenting. Have you noticed that? Grandparents, I, I, when my dad's um, interaction with my daughters was so different than my dad's interactions with me. With me, I mean, he was kind of rough sometimes and a little harsh, you know, at times. I loved him. I mean, he was great, but I, I think I'm who I am today because of him. I appreciate him, but with my daughters... He was a big ball of goo. I mean, it was like, Daddy, why are you letting those girls do that to you? Like, put lipstick on it. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? What is your deal? Well, now that I'm older, um, Elise has gotten the benefit of, I, I did all my uh, harsh parenting with the other girls. Uh, I'm really, really nice to her, right? Okay, all right. That's right, isn't it? That's okay, okay. It's just different. I, part of it is you mellow as you get older. Things that weren't were really important to you. It's like, <laughs> how important is that? You know, some stuff just isn't as important to you as it used to be. I think once you know your time is limited, I mean, the older you get, it's like, okay, well, I'm running out of time here. I don't want to be mad all the time. Who wants to be mad all the time until you die? I'm mad, 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 die. I mean, that's just horrible. It's a horrible way to think about life. And so I think we, we mellow some. And part of that, I do believe, is, okay, we're, we're looking for happily ever after. There's something that's coming that will be better. And you all probably all know this. But you can be sure that you're saved. You can be sure. The Bible tells us, first thing, you have to admit that you're a sinner. All have sinned. Super easy. You have to admit it. You have to believe uh, in Jesus. God demonstrated His own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You have to believe. Uh, first place, I have to admit I have a need. Second thing, I have to believe that Jesus fulfills the need. And then I have to confess, if you, believe it, uh, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There, there's no, um, there, there's, there's nothing there that says unless. You will be saved unless. So much. Are you on social media? Social media is a cesspool. There are people who will say, well, you can't be saved if you have a tattoo. Does it say that? It doesn't say that, does it? Uh, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's not like little language there that says, unless you have a tattoo. I mean, it's like, or, you know, it's like this is a, have you seen those ads? They say this, everyone qualifies, no waiting, no limit. That's salvation. You, you don't have to clean up or dress up, study up. You don't have to know a bunch of stuff. You just have to fess up. I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus can take my sins away. I confess that He will. Because the Bible tells us, 
if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And there is no qualifier to it. Unless, there's no unless. There's just not. The offer of salvation is for everybody. Everybody qualifies. No waiting. No limits. It's a great advertisement. It's a great truth. Let me mention one more book. Super interesting. It's a lady by the name of Diane Comp, K-O-M-P. She wrote a book uh, called A Window to Heaven. She was a pediatric oncologist, so she dealt with kids with cancer. Now, she was uh, an atheist, didn't believe in God at all. And then she starts dealing with these kids, and these kids who are dying begin to tell her what they're seeing as they're dying. And she goes from, the story is, uh, she goes from being an atheist to an agnostic, which means I don't know, to a, a Christian. And she recalls these stories about these kids who tell her about what they're seeing as they're dying. And she, this one story she talks about, this seven-year-old leukemia patient, and she says to her mom, Oh, mommy, can you see the angels? Can you see them? Can you hear them singing? I've never heard anything like it. And story after story, she hears like this from these children. And she becomes a follower of Christ. Because eternity is planted in all of our hearts. We exercise faith all the time. When you came in, we have chairs. You exercised faith. You said to yourself, well, these are new chairs. Uh, the old ones were sketch. Uh, these, I'm fairly certain, will hold me up. And so you exercised faith. You sat right down, really not even thinking about exercising faith. Today, when you go home, it is very likely that you're going to cross over a bridge. You're going to cross over a bridge. Uh, I crossed several going home to my house. And you're not even going to think about it because you trust, you have placed your trust in the engineers who designed that bridge. Every time you take medicine, you trust that the doctor who prescribed it and the uh, people who produced it, the manufacturers who produced it, have created something that will be a benefit to you. You trust. We place our trust. We're always trusting something. We place our trust all the time. I trust, I've got my car out here, I trust that if I was in an accident, the airbags would deploy. Do I know it? I'm not real certain, but I'm fairly certain that's what they're designed to do. Uh, might they not? Well, they might not, but I, I trust that they will. I trust that the seatbelt will hold me in my seat. We, we're always placing trust someplace. That's just how it works. We live in a world where we place our trust in something. So Jesus makes this amazing invitation. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I love that translation of that verse. That's the New Living Translation. Because it speaks of the fact that Jesus wants to be our friend. I, I love that about Him. I stand at the door and knock. He is eager to be our friend. 
Let me end with a story. In Greek mythology, the edge of the world was Gibraltar, the Strait of Gibraltar. And the, the, the myth goes like this, that uh, uh, if you go far enough out, there was a, a statue of Hercules, and he was forbidding people to go past. And on this statue were three words, Latin words, non plus ultra, which means no more beyond. Non plus ultra. And so for centuries and millennia, nobody would venture too far out because they were afraid there's no more beyond. And then there was a cat by the name of Christopher Columbus. You may have heard of him. And he gets in a boat and he sails that direction and he doesn't believe that there's non plus ultra. And he discovers the new world. And in the village in Spain where he is buried, they have a monument erected to him. And this is I did, this super cool. On this monument, there's, uh, it's this big statue. And there's this sort of a, 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 a ribbon banner that kind of is on there. And it says non plus ultra on this banner underneath this statue of Christopher Columbus. Except there's this lion in this statue. And he's clawing away the word non. It's this beautiful picture of a man who decided there is more beyond. And it reminds me of Jesus who's called the Lion of Judah who through His resurrection showed us there is something beyond. So, all that to say this. Are you ready? It's the most important question you'll ever answer. Are you ready or not? Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for telling us something about what's beyond. And thank You that it's a bit of a mystery. Because then we get to anticipate. Thank You for this day and these good words, and we pray that You'll bless them to our hearts. We ask that You would guide us if we're not ready to be ready. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.